From the healing heart of Dr. Nina Savelle Rockland comes the Dr. Nina Show with a message of hope for people struggling with binge eating. She helps listeners break free from emotional eating by identifying their hidden triggers and provides a path for healing without dieting or focusing on food. Dr. Nina inspires us to enjoy the full spectrum of human experience we all deserve to live. Hi there. Welcome to the Dr. Nina Show. I am your host, Dr. Nina Sibel Rockland. I am a psychoanalyst specializing in eating disorders, and I am here to help you break free from binging, body shame, guilt, shame, and diets that don't work. I want you to wake up and think about your day, not your diet. And the first step to doing that means to focus on what's eating at you, not on what you are eating. And I am here to help you every step of the every step of the way. Okay, so today I'm going to talk about binge eating and loneliness. It is the holiday season. This is one of the worst times to feel lonely, and one of the worst kinds of loneliness is when you feel lonely with other people, or you know when it feels like everyone else has somebody and they're all doing something fun together celebrating the holidays in your home alone and feeling terrible well if you ever feel like you are alone in that way or if you ever feel that you are alone in your struggle with binge eating i want you to know you are not alone it might feel like no one understands what you are going through but you are not alone millions of people battle binge eating every day. Millions of people battle loneliness. And what a lot of people don't realize is there is a connection between binge eating and loneliness. They can go hand in hand. So today I'm going to explore the link between binge eating and loneliness, and I'm going to give you some tips for overcoming both. Now, let's just first normalize loneliness. We all, at some point in our lives, most of us have felt lonely. It is normal to feel that way occasionally. But if loneliness is your constant companion, it is tough to overcome that. Many of us also overeat occasionally. And overeating differs from binging, which is eating a large amount of food in a short amount of time, either due to extreme hunger or deprivation, or, and more commonly, as a way of coping with something emotional, often something that you are not even aware of. And one uh, common reason for turning to food is to resolve the state of loneliness. If you often binge on foods that are filling, foods like bread, pasta, pizza, cake, muffins, those are those are foods that take up space within, right? So binging on foods that take up space within us is often a an unconscious way of symbolically filling a void. Now what do I mean by that? Our unconscious is what we're not aware of. It is what we're not aware of, it is what is hidden from us. And yet it often is the very thing that is motivating our behavior. That's why it's not logical, it's psychological. If you're doing something you don't want to do and you logically know that you shouldn't do it, well, that's because something psychological is going on. If you're not doing something you want to do, 
same thing. Something unconscious is stopping you from, you know, from doing what you want to do or not, or not doing what you don't want to do. And so being really curious about what might be unconscious is the key to change. And that's as, as a psychoanalyst, that's what I'm here to help you do is to take what's unconscious, what is hidden from you and bring it into the light. Because when it's unconscious, uh, the way I like to put it is we, we can't fight an invisible army, an invisible army of, of, hidden ideas and thoughts and beliefs. When we have an invisible army of hidden thoughts and beliefs, we just get beaten up by life. We don't, we don't know why. We just keep getting battered. But when we make that army of unconscious thoughts and beliefs visible, making the unconscious conscious, then we see what we are fighting. We know what we are fighting and we can fight back. Another way that I like to talk about the unconscious is a, a, a weed and a root. So we can't see a, a root, but we know it's there because it, it grows a weed, a weed. Now, if you go and you just pluck the weed, what's going to happen? Oh, it's going to be gone for a little bit. Sure it is. And then it's going to grow back because we didn't get to the root, which is underground, hidden from our view, but we know it's there because it's creating this weed. Similarly, we have thoughts that are hidden from us. We are in the dark. They are hidden from us, just like those roots, but they have everything to do with our behavior. Okay, so... When it comes to loneliness and binge eating, one of the things you want to look for is, are you eating filling bulky foods that fill up space within you? Is this a symbolic way? It's not like you're consciously going, I feel lonely. So, hmm, I feel an emptiness within. Let me put food in there. No, we don't, we don't think that way. Consciously, but unconsciously, yeah. Loneliness feels like emptiness. Emptiness can be symbolically resolved by filling up. So if those are the kinds of foods, those filling foods, again, bread, burgers, cake, pizza, pasta, anything that takes up space, if those are the kinds of foods that you are eating, then look at the holes in your life. Take a look at the holes in your life and find new ways to fill them. And by the way, one of, one of the ways that you can um, fill the holes, not necessarily by with people, but it's with your relationship with yourself. But I'm going to get to that in just a little bit. So think about what is missing from your life. What are these holes? Do you need more satisfying relationships with others? What are the voids? What is missing? Are you feeling lonely in a relationship or romantic relationship? Again, there's nothing worse, I think, than feeling lonely with another person or when you're with other people. Are you part of a community where you don't feel like you fit in? Again, a terrible feeling to feel alone in the company of others. But when you can bravely consider these deficits in your life, you can begin creating 
meaningful change. First, you've got to see what the problem is. And the problem is not binge eating. Binge eating is the solution to the problem. The problem is loneliness. Then, you know, you don't resolve the problem of loneliness by white knuckling it and focusing on food and saying, I am not going to go to the kitchen after dinner. No, that doesn't do anything. You solve it by resolving the loneliness. And then you know what? You're not thinking about food after dinner. Okay, so loneliness and social anxiety is another, uh, there's another correlation there because one of the most common suggestions for how to deal with loneliness is, hey, spend time with other people. The recommendation is, hey, go to meetups, make plans with friends, meet new people, go on dates, join clubs, be social. But what if the thought of being with other people makes you anxious, fills you with dread, makes you nervous. That's social anxiety. The first thing to do is figure out why other people are a source of anxiety. Maybe you think you have to be a certain way to be accepted, to be acceptable. I call this the Wizard of Oz syndrome. Um, the Wizard of Oz believed that he would only be respected, only be liked if he was the great and powerful Oz, if he was a, a, a powerful and all-knowing presence. That was the only way that he thought people would respect him. He didn't imagine that he was good enough as he was, the regular real guy behind the curtain. He didn't think that just showing up as himself was enough. He didn't think he was enough to be liked and accepted. So if you can relate and you think you have to hide aspects of yourself to fit in with other people, start by asking yourself, what qualities about yourself do you consider that you need to hide from other people? Consider how you came to believe those qualities should be hidden, that somehow that makes you less than or too much. Challenge the idea that you have to be a certain way to connect with other people. I've had many, many people tell me, well, you know, I don't have a big personality. I'm not funny and entertaining and quick-witted. So I'm not good enough. Somehow they got the idea that to be good enough, you had to have a big, shining, social personality, tell jokes, be charismatic and charming in a loud way, in a big way. And that, that's just not them. So why, if that's you, why do you think that one way is good and one way is not good? Where did you come to believe that? Well, you know, one person had a sibling who was... Like, you know, typical, like captain of the football team, girlfriends all the time, always at parties, life of the party. Everyone loved him. Plus, he got great grades. He was just the all-around person, right? And she came to believe that because he was outgoing and, and you know, gregarious and just, you know, that was how he was, that that was the way to be. And because she was shyer and more thoughtful and more reserved, that somehow that was not the way to be. 
And she came to think that those were qualities about her that she needed to keep hidden. So she would go out and you know what? She was the life of the party. She was fabulous. She was funny, but it wasn't her. She was putting on a mask. And so she never really connected people because she never showed the real her. So it's really important to challenge the notion that you have to be different from who you are to be good enough. Because when you wear a mask out in the world, guess what? The mask gets the love. The mask gets the love. Everyone loves the mask. And you're behind the mask going, oh, if they only knew. And you feel lonely and you don't feel connected because you're putting on an act. Essentially, you're the Wizard of Oz. And really, you're a person behind the curtain hiding yourself alone and lonely. So challenge. Challenge the idea that you have to be different in order to be good enough, in order to be likable, in order to be lovable. Now, imagine you met someone who embodies the very qualities you don't like about yourself. For example, if you don't like the fact that you are shy, imagine meeting a shy person and take a moment to think about how would you respond to that person? Would you be like, oh, that person is shy. I don't like them. Would would you think like, oh, if only they were more outgoing, (laughs) I would like them. Would you not like them? Would you judge them? Would you go like, oh, they're shy? Chances are none of that would happen. You'd just be like, oh, that person's a little more reserved or, oh, that person's a little timid or shy or whatever. That person's sweet. Maybe, just maybe other people could be equally as understanding with you. All right. Loneliness and eating until it hurts. This is a common thing. I hear a lot. People will say, oh my God, I ate so much that I was in physical pain and then I kept eating. What's wrong with me? How, how come I do this? Clearly there's something wrong with me. No. Again, if you're eating until you're in physical pain and you just look at it as, well, that doesn't make sense. That's not logical. You're never going to find the answer. When you're critical, all you do is make yourself feel bad. That makes no sense. Why am I doing that? That's weird. If people knew. But if you're curious, hmm, what is going on with me? I'm eating until I'm in physical pain and then I can't stop even then. So what's this all about? What's going on with me? Let me be curious. Curious, not critical. Because when we're critical, we just say mean things to ourselves. We feel bad. And then if we don't have a way to also make ourselves feel better, which we don't because you can't simultaneously be critical and judgmental of yourself and call yourself names and beat yourself up with words and be supportive and kind and encouraging of yourself. Those things don't go together. So if you beat yourself up, you're critical, you're, you're, you're going to feel bad. And then if you don't have a way to comfort yourself with words, you're going to do, use food because that's the one thing that works. Let me tell you, 
Food is comforting. Food is comforting. From our very first days of life, food provides nourishment and comfort. And it suggests relationship, right? When we're babies, infants, and we're held in someone's arms and they're gazing at us, hopefully with love, going, oh, baby, it's just the most amazing thing on earth, hopefully. Either way, you're being held in somebody's arms and they're feeding you. Whether it's a breast or a bottle, they're feeding you. And so the experience of being held, feeling safe, feeling cozy, having your needs met goes along with the experience of being fed. And that's why in our psyche, food, yes, it's comfort. But when we talk about comfort food, what are we really saying? We're saying we have a wish to be comforted by somebody else. That's why food in some way in our psyches, in our unconscious minds, food equals relationship. And if that sounds a little strange, which yeah, it does. By the way, we're not consciously thinking food equals relationship. That sounds crazy. But unconsciously, the experience that we had as infants and babies and being fed and then later in life, right? We celebrate with food. We connect with other people with food. Food equals relationship in our unconscious minds. Again, if that sounds strange, think about how we use words that connote food with respect to our needs and with relationship. Hungry for love, starving for attention, right? We're, we're hungry for love from others. We're starving for attention from others, right? We have fulfilling relationships. We have satisfying relationship. These, these are all words that we use for both food and relationship. So comfort food, wanting comfort food, really suggests that you want to be comforted by somebody else. You want to be comforted. You don't just want that food. And so that is why there is a connection between food and loneliness food and our needs, food and our need for relationship. We can't have a relationship like that. We can't go to the store and buy a relationship, but we can go buy food, which gives us the sense of fulfillment, even temporarily. And by the way, food works. That's why it works, because it, it takes us to that place of, of connection with food and relationship and feeling better. Bubble baths? Don't do that. I'm sorry. This idea of, hey, when you want to binge, take a bubble bath. Yeah, no. So, so really, a bubble bath? Look, a bubble bath is not going to bring you back to a place where you feel cozy and warm and safe, or it's not going to make the, the world escape. If you've ever seen a baby when they're nursing or having a bottle, they are so like concentrated and blissful and just... Oh, all is right with the world. Food gives you that temporarily. Food gives you an escape temporarily. Bubble baths don't do that. Taking a walk doesn't do that. Brushing your teeth definitely doesn't do that. 
These are all suggestions of what to do when you want to binge. These are all distractions, but they don't work. Because ultimately, they're not resolving the problem. The problem is loneliness. The problem is not binging. Binging is the solution to the problem. So when it comes to eating until you are so stuffed that you are in pain, um, this can be a way of turning the ache of loneliness into actual physical pain. Physical pain is easier to manage and get rid of than emotional pain. And by the way, we see this all the time, this kind of um, using our physicality to express our feelings rather than express them with words. We see this all the time in children. Kids don't typically say, hey, I don't want to go to school because I didn't finish my homework and I'm afraid of getting in trouble. Kids don't say that. They say they have a stomach ache and have to stay home from school. And guess what? That stomach ache is real. They are actually in pain because the dread of getting in trouble has become a physical pain. By the way, when, when my daughter was about eight, she started complaining that her tummy hurt all the time. So I, I ruled out the usual suspects. She didn't have food poisoning. She didn't have the stomach flu. She didn't have allergies. It turned out she was nervous about starting classes at a new dance academy. She was really into dance at that time. And she was worried about fitting in and not being good enough. So she didn't express that worry with words. She expressed it in a painful tummy until I made her talk about it. <laughs> now, now she expresses it in words. And I knew for sure there was nothing physically wrong because when she talked through her anxiety, guess what? The pain stopped too. When she felt better emotionally, her stomach felt better. So the same thing will happen for you when you recognize and process your hidden or painful truths. It's all about honoring that truth, even if it's painful. And once you do that, you stop using food as a way of coping, as a way of distracting, numbing, all the things. All right. So... Another way to deal with loneliness is to turn loneliness into solitude. So we all know what loneliness feels like, that aching, overwhelming feeling that we are all alone in the world. It is a sad feeling of being alone. But when, when, what many of us don't realize is that there is a big difference between loneliness and solitude. And solitude can be a powerful force for good in our lives. If we know how to use it right. So solitude is often misunderstood as being this, the same as loneliness, and it's very different. Loneliness is the state of being alone and feeling sad and isolated. It is a painful feeling of isolation, whereas solitude is the state of being alone without sadness, with contentment. It's feeling good in your own company. And solitude can be a choice. It's an intentional decision to be alone in order to focus on our own thoughts or feelings. Or it could be just, hey, 
I'm not with people right now, so I'm going to make the best of it and be alone with myself in a positive, nurturing way. And solitude has some incredible benefits because it allows us to connect with ourselves in a deeper way, which leads to more self-awareness, more growth, and it gives us space to reflect on our lives and figure out what we want for our present and for our future. And it can be so important. It is a time to quiet our minds, regroup, and recharge, and, and to connect with our intuition and our inner voice, to relax, to enjoy some peace and quiet. So there are a lot of benefits to be gained from spending some time in solitude. Um, but again, that comes from being curious, not critical. Being lonely is what's you know often sounds like, what's wrong with me? Why don't I have enough friends? What you know? Clearly, there must be something wrong with me. Or why can't I connect with these people that I'm with? Why am I feeling this way? What's wrong with me? Which sounds like curiosity, but it's not. Saying what's wrong with me is not curious. It is an accusation in question form. What's wrong, with, what's wrong with me is a shaming remark. What it really means is there's something wrong with me. But when you say, hmm, why am I feeling this way? What's going on with me? That's a true question in which you will find answers. What's, what's wrong with me? Or if you say to yourself in you voice, and by the way, using the pronoun you when talking to ourselves often means the inner critic is in charge of your thoughts at that moment. Um, so what's wrong with you? You're shaming yourself. You're making it sound like there's something just about you as a person that is unacceptable. But hey, why am I feeling this way? What do I need? What would be good right now? Why am I not feeling connected with people? Those are questions that lead to answers. When we criticize ourselves, we shut down, we feel bad, we turn to food to cope because we want to escape our own mean voice. But when we ask ourselves questions, our minds want to answer the questions. What's going on with me? Hmm. Your mind is, is more likely to want to find the answer to fill in the blanks. So we live in a society that, that kind of prizes companionship, connection. And as a result, a lot of us are afraid of being alone. We don't know how to be alone without being lonely. And so we fill our lives with distractions, including eating, and we stay busy as a way of avoiding the silent self, the silence of being in our own minds. And we need to learn to be alone with a supportive and interested part of ourselves. When that happens, we can enjoy our own company. We can, we can be there for ourselves. And we can find ways to fill the silence without using food or other coping strategies. And by the way, one way to do this, I found, is to spend time in, in nature. Nature has a real way of, of, of quieting our minds, helping us feel more connected to our ourselves, more grounded, connected to the world, connected to the planet. Um, there's just something about nature, 
right? And that's if you live in a city and you go to a park and you you sit down on a park bench or you put a blanket down, you sit on the grass, it's just very calming. There's something about it that's very calming. If you live in the country or the suburbs, you can find a park, you can go in your backyard, you can, you know, you can find a way to be just with yourself, with nature. It has a very calming effect if you're open to that. And another way to enjoy solitude is to take up a hobby or activity that you can do on your own, but not as a way of keeping busy. Got to make sure that it's something that you're doing that you're enjoying, not slave driving yourself. You know, like if you like painting or, or hiking or walking around your neighborhood, whatever it is, do it as a way of, of quietly enjoying time with yourself as opposed to, I got to do 10 paintings this year, <laughs> or I, I've got to, I've got to walk 10 miles today. Like, like that's slave driving. It's different from, let me just be peaceful with myself and, and paint and get lost in the painting or get lost, you know, go on a hike and get lost in the feeling of nature. Don't get lost on the hike, get lost in the feeling of nature. It helps you be with yourself. But of course, you have to be kind to yourself, encouraging to yourself, supportive to yourself, not critical, mean, harsh, or judgmental. Okay, then of course, there's the, uh, the, the, the need to connect with other people. So let's say that you've processed your social anxiety, you know how to be with yourself, and you're ready to assuage your loneliness by being with other people. So, because loneliness is very difficult when there's nobody to keep you company and help you feel better, and there's only so much solitude that a person can take. And of course, it's terrible to feel lonely when you're surrounded by people that you don't feel a connection with. I, again, I think that's just the worst, the worst loneliness. But you got to connect with the right people, especially when you don't have a close family or a network of friends. It's really important to find your tribe, find the people that are your people. We are born into our families. We don't, I mean, some people disagree with this, but we don't choose them. We just end up in families where we may or may not fit in. Maybe you're a, a quieter, more bookish person and you just like to read and think and be, and you're born into a family of sports fanatics and they, they think there's something wrong with you because you're not out there playing team sports and going hiking on the weekends and going to games and playing games and doing all the things. You just want to read a book. You're going to feel like there's something wrong with you and you're going to want to avoid people. Or the opposite, you're kind of an outgoing, spirited person. You like to do team sports. You like to do team things. And you're born into a family of people who would rather just stay home and read books. Or maybe you're just a, a lively, energetic person. And your family is kind of on the quieter, subdued side. You're going to feel like you don't fit in. And when we don't fit in with our original group, our family, 
That's our original group. When we don't feel like we fit into our original group, it's hard to imagine that we will fit in anywhere. But we don't choose our families. We can choose our friends. Um, so one thing to do is make sure that you choose the right friends. So one thing you could do is join a club or a group that meets regularly, a group, a club that shares your interest. If you like hiking, a hiking group. If you like playing chess, a chess group. Um, I know someone who, he joined a, a, a dominoes group. Like you, you can do whatever it is that you have an interest in. There is a group or a club, whether online or in person, that where you can meet other people and connect with them with a shared interest. You can also volunteer. You'll be helping other people while meeting new people, which is always good. Or you can be helping animals while meeting new people. Animal shelters always need volunteers, and often they have uh, training groups for volunteers, and you get to meet people who also love animals, and you might form a connection. You can take a class at a community center or a college. And this is a great way to learn new things and meet people who have similar interests. See the commonality here? Similar interests. When you're born into a family that you don't connect to, you may not have similar interests. And it might be hard to imagine that you can connect with other people and that they can connect with you because you didn't have that experience with your family. But I am here to tell you, yes, you can find people who think as you think, who understand you, who have the same interests, the same values, the same way of being. You can also get involved in your church or your uh, synagogue, your religious community, whatever. And I know there are a lot more religious communities than those two. Um, but you know, or even an atheist organization, like whatever your thing is, you can find a, a, a group for you. These groups are full of friendly people who are looking to make connections. You can also try online dating or social media websites. There are lots of platforms out there that cater to all kinds of people. So you are sure to find someone who shares your interests and your values and who hopefully is geographically you know, available. But even not, you can still connect online. Uh, get involved in activities that you really love. If you're not sure what your passions are, take some time to think about what makes you happy. Once you figure out what makes you happy, get involved in as many activities as possible that fall into that category. Not only will this help you fight off loneliness, it'll make you happier overall. You'll be doing things you love. You'll be meeting new people. You'll be, you'll be, you'll be happier because you're doing what you like. And also online, it's important to to connect with people online, even if you can't connect with them in person, because the internet is a great place to connect with other people who, again, share your interests. You can join online forums or groups or social media groups related to the things you love or the things you're interested in, or the things you're struggling with. You can chat with people from all over the world. You might even make some great friends along the way. 
And by the way, you're, you're welcome to join my Dr. Nina's Food for Thought community on Facebook with, uh, I don't know, 1,200 people from all over the world who are all working to banish binge eating for good and supporting each other and getting information and inspiration. So when you turn loneliness into solitude and you cultivate meaningful and fulfilling, fulfilling connections with others, you will not be lonely again. That's the truth. Okay, so now I have some questions. My questions. Um, this person says, every time I feel fat, every time I feel fat, I end up going to the kitchen for a snack. And that usually turns into a night of grazing. I want to lose weight. So how can I stop this pattern? Hmm. First of all, fat is not a feeling. Fat is a substance. That is a it's something you use to cook. Um, we often say we feel fat as a way of ignoring or turning away from our other true feelings, emotions. Fat is not an emotion. We can't feel fat. We can feel sad, anxious, lonely, empty, upset. Right. So first of all, challenge the idea that, you know, you're feeling fat. The next time you find yourself feeling fat, ask yourself what big, weighty, or heavy feelings you might be having. And get more interested in the symbolism of feeling fat as opposed to making it actually about your body. And also, watch the fat talk. Fat talk is so common, so, so common. I have heard women refer to themselves as too big or huge or, oh, my God, how did I get this enormous and other horrible comments. I have uh, heard them refer to themselves as whales and planets. Uh, just so many terrible, terrible ways for people to be talking about themselves. We need to stop the fat talk. We need to stop accepting it. We need to stop doing it. Just stop. Fat talk doesn't motivate you to lose weight or eat better. Feeling fat is not your motivation for not eating. It's, it just makes you feel worse. And then when you feel worse, what's going to happen? You're going to go eat something for comfort. The fat talk voice is mean. The fat talk voice is critical. And when we are critical to ourselves, we just end up eating to escape our own mean voice. And that's exactly why you might be heading to the kitchen for those snacks. Again, not logical, psychological. Logical is, I feel fat, so I shouldn't eat. Obviously, that's logical. We are not logical. We are not Mr. Spock's or... You know, we, we are not, for those Star Trek fans out there, we are not computers. We are not logical. We are psychological. So, you, you know, when you accuse yourself of something, when you distract from your true emotions and, and embody it, instead of saying, oh, I'm full of sadness, I'm full of anger, it's I feel that. And even if it's like, hey, I don't, I, it's not about that, 
Dr. Nina, I just don't like my weight. Let's just say it. I don't like I don't like my weight. Well, if you uh, if you accuse yourself of 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 being a weight you shouldn't be at, you're just going to feel bad. And then when you feel bad, food helps. That's why you got to turn that inner critic into a friend. Instead of attacking yourself, got to support yourself. You know, that's why you're heading to the kitchen for those snacks and, and grazing all night. When you call yourself names, when you disparage and attack yourself, you feel bad. And turning to food is a way of helping yourself to feel better, even though that's temporary and even though it backfires. So when you cultivate a kinder and more supportive stance with yourself, and when you identify your feelings and express those emotions and comfort yourself, you stop using food to cope. All right, I think I have time for one more question, and I have one more question. Okay. Okay, this person says, I am trying to accept my body as it is and embrace body positivity, but I am having a hard time with that. Can you give me some tips on how I can feel better about myself at this weight? Hmm. Well, that's a great question. And again, let's go for logic. We know our bodies do so much for us. Our bodies allow us to breathe. Our, our bodies allow us to watch a sunset, hug friends, play with our kids, walk our dogs, hug our dogs, kiss people we love, hold hands, be connected with others. We can appreciate what our bodies do for us. But psychologically, of course, that's a different story. We may not feel so good about our bodies as they are. And that's okay. I, I, ideally, we can accept ourselves as we are and love ourselves. But unfortunately, we don't live in an ideal world. And what's important is that you don't feel bad about feeling bad about your body. Like, don't feel bad about the fact that you do not have this unconditional regard for your body. Instead, give yourself to take permission to take care of your body and accept your body as you are becoming healthier or more fit. One thing that's really important is to wear clothes that fit and that make you feel comfortable. Because when we wear clothes that are too tight, we don't feel comfortable. We don't feel good. We, 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 we can be more aware of like roles and extra stuff, <laughs> extra body rolls and all of that stuff. And it can make us go, ooh, ooh. And when you're more aware of it and you feel it, it feels bad. You get in your head. You start saying bad things to yourself. And then you, know, then you feel bad. Then you're, then you're eating again. But when we, when we wear clothes that fit and when we feel like we look decent in our clothes, we feel better. When we feel comfortable in our clothes, we feel comfortable, period. So do that. Also, do exercise that makes you feel good so that you're exercising for your health instead of for appearance. Also, 
exercise because it feels good, because it's good for your body, not because you want to eat more calories at dinner or because you ate cake. Exercise because it's it feels good for your body and it's a good thing to do for your body. Exercise for the way it feels, not how it's going to make you look and not because you ate something and not as a way of earning more calories later. And by the way, with regard to that, we often overestimate how many calories we're burning when we're exercising. And, and then it's like, well, I, I, I walked for an hour and I burned, you know, 250 calories. No, you didn't. Um, so I might as well have that, that, that piece of whatever. And it's only 200 calories, maybe more like 400. And so therefore you're eating, you're, you're overestimating how many calories you just burned so that you could have something else. And it becomes all about this transactional thing rather than, Hey, what do I feel like? Do I want to have a piece of cake without guilt? I'm going to have it because guess what? When you have a piece of cake without guilt and you enjoy it, you can have it and say, oh, that was good. When you feel guilty, it's like, I'm just going to have a sliver. And then I'm going to have another sliver. Oh my God, I feel so guilty. Well, I'm just going to have another sliver and then that's it. I'm not having any more cake for like the, the rest of the month, the rest of the year until I lose X amount of weight, no more cake. And then you end up eating the whole cake instead of just one piece that you could have actually enjoyed. Deprivation leads to eating more. Deprivation leads to binging. Right. And focus on how you feel instead of on how you look. Be sure to be supportive of yourself as you go through this process of changing your relationship with food. Being supportive of yourself means taking your own side. It means truly being kind to yourself, being supportive of yourself instead of attacking yourself. Um, really turning our inner critic into a friend is the one thing that everybody that I have treated in 20 years as a clinician, as an eating disorder therapist, as a psychoanalyst, and also as a coach, Turning your inner critic into a friend is the thing that everybody has had to do, regardless of what type of eating disorder they were struggling with, how long they've been struggling, or what their situation was. Every single person that I have treated had a toxic, mean relationship with themselves and often didn't realize it. Turning your inner critic into a friend is the most powerful thing that you can do to change your relationship with, with food. By changing your relationship with yourself, you change your relationship with food. And that means supporting yourself instead of criticizing yourself. Changing the way you talk to yourself, changing the way you talk about yourself is incredibly powerful. And that is the key to changing your relationship with food for good. And that is what I'm here to talk about every week, to help you change your relationship with yourself, to learn to become kinder. Often people don't realize they're so mean to themselves. They think they're being motivational or they're, 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 they're thinking they're 
inspiring themselves in some way, but they're always thinking the worst of themselves and not the best. So start thinking about a different narrative about yourself. Think the best of yourself and not the worst. Think about ways you can encourage and support yourself instead of attacking yourself and your body. You will feel better. And when you feel better, that's when you give up binging for good. You don't need it anymore. You don't need to distract yourself from yourself. You're good. And that is how you um, achieve the binge cure. <laughs> so speaking of the binge cure, what a lovely segue that was. Where is my book? Here it is. So if you want a deeper diver, deeper diver. <laughs> okay, if you want a deeper dive into the things I talked about today, this is my book, um, one of my books. I'm actually the author of three books, but this is my book for mainstream readers, The Binge Cure, Seven Steps to Outsmart Emotional Eating. And it gives you a step-by-step -step solution and a deeper dive into what we talked about today and much, much, much more. Seven steps to heal your relationship with yourself and with food so that you too can have a binge-free, happy life. So that is my show for today. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Dr. Nina show. And if you love the show, please take a moment and leave a rating or a comment. I actually had all of these ratings and all of these comments and suddenly there was a refresh on Apple and they all disappeared. They're gone. So please help me out. If you love the show, leave a comment, leave a rating because the more ratings and comments we get, the more people the show reaches, the more people I can help with your help. Happy holidays. I'll see you next week. Calling all authors. Have you been considering an audiobook? Well, look no further. Come take advantage of DreamVision 7 Radio Network's unique in-house audiobook production, which includes benefits and bonuses from our radio station. Let our knowledgeable staff guide you to create the audiobook you've always dreamed of without breaking the bank. Check out our full one-stop service from A to Z, including the ACX process. Schedule a free consultation by calling 508-226-1723. That's 508-226-1723. Or go to dreamvision7radio.com. Thank you for joining the Dr. Nina Show, heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. and 11 p.m. Eastern on Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Join Dr. Nina next time for more diet-free strategies on how to outsmart emotional eating so you can stop thinking about food and start living your best and most happy life. Find out more about Dr. Nina Savelle Rockland at drninainc.com. That's D-R-N-I-N-A-I-N-C.com. The Dr. Nina Show is now on the Dream Vision 7 Radio Network every Tuesday, 11 a.m. and 11 p.m. Eastern Time. From the healing heart of Dr. Nina Sabelle Rockland comes a message of hope for people struggling with binge eating. She helps listeners break free from emotional eating by identifying the hidden triggers to binging and provides a path for healing without dieting or focusing on food. As she puts it, it's not what you're eating that's the real problem. It's what's eating at you. Be sure to tune in for diet-free strategies on how to outsmart emotional eating so you can stop thinking about food and start living your best and most happy life. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, 
uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow.